Welcome to the Let's Get Real podcast with Justin and Trisha Davis. Honest conversations about life, love, and leadership. So welcome. Well, hey everybody, welcome to the Let's Get Real podcast with Justin and Trisha Davis. And we are at episode 13, plus a couple bonus episodes that we've thrown in there. And so thanks for being on this journey with us for the last 13 episodes. And if you missed the bonus episode that we dropped a few days ago, uh, man, go back and listen to that because we had a guest on the podcast. Her name is Tony Newhoff, and she's the wife of Carrie Newhoff, but she's also an author. Uh, she's an attorney, and she spent some time as a divorce attorney and now has become a family mediator. And so her whole mission is to help couples stay together. And so it was just a fascinating and really um, just uh, wisdom-packed conversation with Tony. So make sure you check that episode out. Uh, But Trish, we are diving into a brand new episode today, and it's going to be a doozy. Yeah, if you are new to the Let's Get Real podcast, uh, Justin and I started doing free master classes and it's been really fun to see people show up um, as we engage some of these tough topics and conversations. And we've talked about, you know, how to get along with family. And we've talked about finances, which is always fun and, you know, romantic. But <laughs> this topic in particular, I think if you're listening, regardless if you're single or married, regardless of your age, is a topic that we've recognized that it's a conversation that is not being had, especially in Christian circles, that has just left a lot of room for confusion and misconception and um, arguments and frustration. Um, And so, and that topic is on sexual intimacy. And so, Justin and I, we wanted to just take some time and have this conversation that I think everybody wants to have, but doesn't either know how to have it or it's just like that's just really awkward like who would you even have this conversation with well and I think one of the things that we've recognized over 27 years of marriage is um, that this subject you know never goes away you're always confronted with um, sexual images you're always confronted with sexual misconceptions or perceptions and we really struggled with this in the first you know, 10 years of our marriage. And now it's become kind of a passion of ours to speak into it as we do our marriage conferences. We just did a master class, uh, you know, last month on sexual intimacy and, and how to really make sexual intimacy an art and not necessarily an obligation. And so we want to kind of continue that conversation in less than a, less of a class form and more of a conversation form. Um, just because we have weathered so many storms when it comes to this topic of sexual intimacy and, and just what God's vision of it is, what our, how we have broken it, how we have perceived it, how we get it wrong and right, and, and really kind of the, as you mentioned, Trish, the, the lack of clarity and just the lack of um, encouragement that the church, the Big C Church, has given in this area. We're, we're all about telling people what not to do, but but how do we really free people up to know what God really wants in this area? Yeah, I mean, we talk all the time that we're Gen Xers, and we're like this weirdo generation. We're kind of small, but we grew up in these like big-feeling church vibes. Like We're the generation that grew up mostly in like traditional settings, and then you had churches like Willow Creek and... Um, North Point. North Point that began to change just the church expression and and conversations. And so there were aspects of our faith 
that were changing and conversations that we're having in areas of faith and discipleship. But still, even through all those changes as Gen Xers, we grew up in the purity movement. So, which was simply this stay pure and don't have sex before you get married. And, but we were, that's all we were told. And so even as the church transformed, this conversation really didn't. And so when we got married, you know, Justin and I grew up in both of us kind of what we would call hookup culture. Like if you were dating, um, you probably were having sex. It wasn't like this odd thing, even, even Christian kids, like it's just how it was. And so when we went to Bible college and fell in love and really got serious about our faith and started leaning into godly principles, we were like, okay, well, we'll just cover all of the multitudes of sins of our past and we'll stay pure with each other. And then when we get married, this area of our life, not only will it be healed, it'll, it'll be amazing and go up into the right. Well, and I think that that's something that you just, you know, you kind of just tapped into something that I think, um, there's a lot of varying beliefs, right? There's, there are people who believe that purity, 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 purity is the only way. And, and then there are people who are followers of Jesus that, you know, they don't think that sex outside of marriage is wrong or living together is wrong. And, and then you have people who have had sexual wounds in the past, or maybe had, have experienced sexual abuse and so all of, all of these um, ideologies and all of these experiences kind of come into this conversation, and yet there's really, you know, one of the things that I love that you do when we travel around and speak, we're going to be doing a marriage conference this next weekend, and one of our whole sessions is on sexual intimacy, and the way that Trisha starts this, set, this session is, no matter what size the um, crowd is, she'll say, um, how many of you had a clear biblical understanding of sex before you got married? <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, no- I mean, it's crazy. Like it doesn't matter age or denomination or region of the United States that we're speaking at. When I ask that question, nobody raises their hand. And so it's almost like it's kind of twofold. One, it's like really sad that nobody raises their hand. And, you know, Justin and I, we wouldn't have raised our hand either. Um, being asked that question, because even though we were Christians, we weren't given a clear biblical understanding of sex. We, we kind of, what we perceived it to be is what we took on. Well, my mom said, basically, I got pregnant with you in high school. Don't have sex in high school. I mean, that was like, that was basically the talk that my mom and dad had with me of like, if you don't want to get pregnant or you don't want to get AIDS, because AIDS was just coming out when, like when I was in high yeah. school, then you don't have sex. Yeah. And that, and so like, even when we were trying to you know, go down the right path. We, we was still such a warped, a, a warped understanding of sexual intimacy. And so we began having the conversation. It was like, okay, well, what, what is sexual intimacy for a faith-based marriage? And is it like good? Is it right? You know, one of the conversations you and I had before we started recording is, just the misconception of sex in general. Like, what's it for? Is it for pleasure? It's Is it for, like, the word intimacy means to be fully known? So is it about growing in your relationship one another? So you take all of that, it's like, okay, now everybody listening is going, okay, well, what is it? Well, I think part of the, uh, you know, part of our mission uh, with this episode of the podcast is not to um, 
convince you of the rightness or the wrongness of sexual intimacy. Mm. What a, one of the things that we want to do is we want to free you up to recognize that God created it, um, that we have, no matter if you think that sex before marriage is the unpardonable sin, or if you think sex before marriage is no big deal, it create, <clears throat> we have sexual baggage. We, we have baggage in this area that affects our relationship with God and it affects our marriage relationship. And so I think understanding those misconceptions and, you know, when, before, before we got married, you know, I had like, you know, this view of sexual intimacy of, you know, that we were going to have sex all the time and that it would be romantic. And it was like, you know, it was almost like this, you know, this movie, it was the karate kid movie, like playing out, you know, like we'd win the girl and win right. the karate tournament and, yeah. you know, right off in the sunset. And, and I think you bring those misconceptions and you bring those preconceived ideas into relationships and those begin to drive your expectations rather than what God really says about sexual intimacy and, and the purpose and the beauty and, you know, the way that he created us to experience it. Yeah. And, you know, there's so many barriers to sexual intimacy in general. Like first the barrier of just not understanding like what it is. And, you know, as you and I began to take a deep dive into restoring our marriage relationship, when um, our marriage was broken by infidelity, that, that conversation of broken trust ended up being like this redemptive conversation of asking questions we didn't even know we could ask, right? Because we talk about spiritual stuff in Christian circles and we talk about the emotional stuff, but you know, we always joke, like I've never gone to a small group and been like, Hey, can we talk about my sex life? Like it would just be so <laughs> weird. But as you and I began the conversation, we had to first address the misconceptions, which, you know, we have shared, um, just in this podcast, some of those misconceptions, but then the conversation began to turn of like, well, well, what is it then? Like, where, where do we find the answers for that? Well, and I think too, one of the things that happens when you don't understand its purpose and, and I'm not trying to throw you under the bus, but you know, because of your lack of understanding of sexual intimacy in general, and then your lack of, or our lack of, um, co communication about it, and understanding one another's expectations, it, it became like this weapon oh, that, absolutely. that you used against me um, because sex was so important to me. It was not necessarily as important to you because you got pregnant early on in our marriage. A lot of things started changing. Nothing really changed. I mean, I gained weight with you with every pregnancy. <laughs> you, you lost yours. I didn't lose mine. But, um, but there were physical and emotional changes that you were undergoing as you became a mom that I never really took time to understand. And, mm -hmm. and then I did not invest in you emotionally and I didn't really invest in you spiritually, but then I had this expectation of you physically and that just put us on different pages. Yeah. I mean, you and I even had a term. It was, we called it shutdown mode and it was like, <laughs> I, I don't know why I'm laughing. Cause it brings back such <laughs> triggering pain. But yeah, I mean, it was just, it was so broken. So like the joke was, you know, we had, you know, three small kids within, you know, seven years. And so then it's kind of became like, from my perspective was, and you, you've said this publicly, you know, you are, you've struggled with 
workaholism. And so mm-hmm. being a workaholic and then me being home with kids, it was like circumstantially just a perfect storm. And so like they had, to, my kids had to have like the best day ever. Everybody took naps or nobody got in trouble at school and dinner had to turn out right, which sounds like we like lived in the fifties, but it wasn't that, but I just, I was not a good cook, never have been a good cook, but it was something that I wanted to enjoy. It wasn't even something you placed on me. I'm like, I, I want to figure this out. Um, and I, I never did figure it out even almost 30 years later, but it became this thing that like my whole world had to be perfect. Like the sun needed to be aligned with Jupiter and the moon and then maybe intimacy would happen. Right. And the term there is maybe, (laughs) um, one of the things I was, you know, thinking about before we started recording this podcast and just kind of a typical day, you know, 15, 17 years ago in our house is I would, I would go and work. I would come home, you would, we would either have dinner, go out to dinner, whatever we would do for dinner. The kids would be all over the place. And then I would plop down the couch. I would turn on sports center, watch TV. We would always make time for 24 because that was always important. But then I, but then I would stay up and watch TV till one o'clock in the morning. You would go to bed at 11 and then I would expect physical intimacy to happen and there was one, no proximity because I wasn't going to bed with you mm-hmm. Two, There wasn't really a lot of, I mean, I would come home, fall asleep during sports center. You'd wake me up to eat, you know, or I'd go play with the kids. Like there was just, there was not a lot of emotional and spiritual connection that would then go into a physical attraction. I'm not saying that you weren't physically attracted to me, but you just didn't feel invested in. And I didn't feel valued because, you know, you, you didn't, I didn't come home and you were, you know, in a in negligee or lingerie or whatever, you know, and it's like, well, that's not really reality, you know? Yeah. And so I think I had such misguided expectations. And then also we just didn't really understand how physical, emotional, and spiritual intimacy all work together to produce what God has in mind. Yeah. Or even that it was important. And so the misconceptions, I mean, if you're listening and you're like, man, that's some really like messed up stuff, or you may be going, oh, that's like you raising your hand, like preach, like that's totally my story. And and maybe you're like, you know, listen to the podcast and you're a freshman in college and you're just (laughs) like, man, it's just still just feels really messy. And for Justin and I, we were like the poster children of like dysfunctional understanding, both in our relationship, how it played out, and then just even in our like biblical understanding. And so when our marriage imploded, it was, I always say this, that, you know, it was complete rock bottom, but rock bottom was a clean slate. It was still like solid surface to stand. And so we began asking the difficult questions and figuring out how to connect emotionally and spiritually, but then figuring out this piece of sexual intimacy and and what has been so beautiful 17 years since, you know, our marriage fell apart is that we've been able to just see the beauty that God created sexual intimacy to be fully known and fully loved in such a beautiful way that the emotional and spiritual intimacy that you build outside of the bedroom begins to um, overflow in the marriage bed. It in where you and I were so focused on it being a task or something that was just like something for you, 
it began to change in our view of each other in the, and because of that, it changed our pursuit in the area of sexual intimacy. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll just speak from my own experience, you know, when the affair happened and we began to rebuild our marriage, I really had to deconstruct just a lot of the baggage that I had, you know, I had sex with people that I dated before I met Trisha. Um, I struggled with pornography for, you know, 10 years, the first 10 years of our marriage relationship. And so some of those, some of those things had to be addressed. They, there, there was no way to move forward with a new beginning if the past was just going to follow us into Mm -hmm. this new beginning. And so, you know, I, I don't, come at this from a place of shame or guilt. That's not my motive at all. But I mean, if you have sexual baggage and you're trying to move forward without addressing that, man, it, our, our willingness to acknowledge the pain of our past determines our ability to heal from the past. Right. And so there was this acknowledgement that I had to have. I'll never forget. Um, we were, went through this kind of this really intensive counseling session or two, maybe, um, it has been 17 years, but there was just this really authentic time of just truth telling. And that's when I confessed to Trish that I had struggled with pornography and that I had been, I had been sexually abused. And the third, the third thing I confessed was I wasn't recruited to play basketball at the university of Evansville. Like, (laughs) um, I had been telling that lie to myself, you know, since high school. And so that, that, that willingness to tell the truth was a foundational principle or a foundational, um, like pillar of being able to have a healthy sex life. I I was not going to be able to have a healthy sex life with Trish. If I continued to struggle with pornography, if I continued to not get help for the sexual abuse that I experienced. And so I think, you know, if you are struggling in this area, my first, you know, thought of encouragement to you would be to look back rather than trying to look forward or rather than trying to blame your spouse, or rather than trying to keep track of how many days it's been since you've had sex with your spouse to look back and go, man, is there sexual brokenness in my past? Is, are there wounds that I have tried to get over without getting through, without acknowledging and, and allow that to be the starting place? Because I think a lot of times we try to fix things in the bedroom and really, things really need to be fixed in our heart first. And that has been one of the things that I feel like we've been committed to for the last 17 years is having these conversations and talking about these difficult things. Which, you know, has been a game changer for us in our relationship because, I mean, the backdrop of it is, and I think a lot of people would agree, it's taboo and then we don't know what it is and then we feel such shame. Like even if you have, you know, lived such this amazing pure life, you could still have a real, you know, feeling of like having sexual baggage because you just feel like it's been messed up for so long in, in your understanding of it. And so the process for Justin and I was really organic. We're able to talk about it more for like, like here's step one and step two, but as it was unfolding in our life in real time, we didn't see it as such. It was a progression of understanding. And for us, it began with being truth tellers. Mm -hmm. And as we began to tell the truth of how, not just sin, just how we felt about it. Like the truth for me was I had a baby at 21 years old and it changed my body forever. And so 
for me, it wasn't even about like a lack of biblical understanding. I just never felt enough. I felt ugly. I felt ashamed of my body. I felt overwhelmed and I was 21 years old. And so it was like, oh my gosh, if I look like this at 21, he's never going to love me at like 51. Those are just, you know, scripts I was telling myself, but because we didn't know how to have the conversation, you had no idea that that struggle was so real. And so some of that was like, payment back, you know, paying back to you that I knew it would make you upset. But oftentimes it was just me feeling like I'm not enough. So it was like, when we began to tell the truth, it was like such a beautiful acceptance of like being fully known in a way that we had never been known before. Well, I was just going to say, you know, what a gift, like if you're listening right now and and you're uh, a wife or a female that's, that's resonating with that, like you think, you may think that keeping that from your husband is sparing him from drama or that you can never share that. But you just sharing that with me, it was like, okay, well that's a starting place then. Like if you don't feel enough, if you're feeling insecure, if you feel like you're not attractive, I want to know that so that we can move through that together because how a guy would interpret that is my wife doesn't want me. My wife doesn't want to be intimate. Well, there may be like five or six different thoughts going in her mind that have nothing to do with that. How it's received is I'm not attractive. My wife doesn't want to, you know, she cares more about the kids than she does me. She cares more about cleaning the house or doing the dishes than she does being intimate with me. Like there's a number of feeling rejected as guys. And I don't think that, I don't think that wives really, like if, if you said to your, you know, if I said to you, well, you maybe feel really rejected right now, well, that, that would never, I don't think that would ever be your intention, right? Right. And I don't think there's many spouses that would want to outwardly just, you know, swat or reject their spouse in this area. But at the same time, when we don't have these honest conversations and don't allow our spouse into our heart, into our mind, into our insecurities, into our fears, mm-hmm. uh, into the places that, you know, we question whether or not we're, we are enough. Yeah. And when we bring that all to the marriage bed, then it's like, good luck. Right. Because it, we're not even talking about sexual intimacy yet. We're just talking about like how difficult it is emotionally, you know, to physically show up, but it was such an important conversation. And so as we began to, you know, debunk that misconception it changed in our ability to have healthy communication. And it really, for us, began with this passage in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. And the passage really is what we believe is the heart of marriage. It says that although Adam and his wife were both naked, like very specific, both naked, they felt no shame. And so God's vision for marriage is to be fully known emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And so it was like, okay, Justin didn't create it. Culture didn't create it. God created it. And he created it for us to be fully known in a, there probably is another like more spiritual way to say it, but like in a magical way, like it's the one and only relationship that you get to be known so intimately, spiritually, physically, and emotionally. And when all of that lines up, it's this it's this beautiful thing where you begin to understand it, not just as a physical act, but as an expression of love. Yeah. And I think one of the things that as I talk to guys and spend time with guys, one of the things I think we're most guilty of fellas is we, 
we don't necessarily invest in our wife spiritually. I mean, we might go to church, um, but we're not necessarily intentional spiritually. We're not intentional emotionally. We get to the wedding and we kind of check something off like, well, accomplish that. And we don't necessarily feel like we have to pursue our spouse or pursue our wife anymore, but then we have expectations physically. And some of the, some of the most passionate times that Trish and I have, have shared physically have not been out of um, lust or infatuation or, you know, times that we have gotten dressed up and went out to a fancy restaurant or spent a lot of money on a date They've been after heartfelt conversations or after we have taken time to connect with one another spiritually, to pray with each other, to, to talk about you know th- things that we're going through or things that we're experiencing, insecurities that we have. And so I think when you take time, fellas, to invest in your wife emotionally and you take time to invest spiritually, you don't have to manipulate physically. You don't have to coerce. You don't have to keep score. You don't have to throw it up in their face of how long it's been or how many days it's been or. And I would say vice versa too for, you know, you know, and these are broad strokes because it's not always male, female in this way. Um, you know, we've worked with couples where it is completely flip flopped, but I think for, um, wives and, and us, you know, feeling like either we don't understand it or it just feels overwhelming. Like when we feel connected emotionally and spiritually, then it's not always has to be like this romantic, you know, John Legend, Roses. It has to be like this epic, you know, moment. It actually flip flops in us, in in our capacity to, to let it be a moment where it is a physical connection in a fun way. And it wasn't this big grandiose thing. Um, it, it was just a moment to connect. And so it, it plays out in those different ways, but again, what remains the same is the expression of love in, in the pursuit of love. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we've recognized over the last, you know, several years as we've kind of studied this, we've read books on this, we've heard people talk about this is a guy's physical need is different in this area than, a female's need the way that men are physiologically and physically put together by God. There is a, there is a sexual desire typically that is greater or that has a high sex drive. And one of the things that Trish said early on is she's like, I want to, I want to, I want to offer physical intimacy. I want to mutually offer it even when it isn't mutually desired. Right. Like, so there's a, there's a recognition that, part of my, how I'm wired is physical touch is really important to me. And I like to cuddle sometimes when Trish doesn't want to cuddle and cuddle is a euphemism there. It is a, a code well, I mean, if you take, take Jesus out of it and just, you know, you know, look up statistics about, you know, intimacy, there is an actual like physiological response to cuddling. That is, that is just healthy. It is a, an emotional connection that doesn't always have to lead to sexual intimacy. It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't always have to. Uh, Neither do massages. There's, oh, oh my. <laughs> but we say all that to say, like, telling the truth about where you are with it is the beginning process of healing. And then understanding that God created it for you to be put. It's not even about meeting a need. It's about an expression of, of knowing, like being fully 
known. And sometimes it's fully known in like just this moment between you and your spouse that, you know, is just between you two. And, you know, we kind of joke, the older our kids get, it's like we become like the college students because we're trying to hide in our own house because people know. like Pulling over on the side of the road. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> we haven't done that we're in a while. We're going to strike that from this yeah. recording. But I think, you know, one of the things that we want you to know is sex is for enjoyment. It's not for guilt. It's not for shame. It's not an obligation. It, it's not something that you have to feel um, you know, like you're carrying the weight of God created this for us to enjoy. And if that isn't describing your marriage relationship, that's okay. I think just acknowledging that and being honest about it. And here's the, one of the most important things, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll let Trish wrap up after this. Have conversations about this when you're not trying to have sex. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're having a conversation about this in the bedroom, that's never good, right? Like you're, there's the, the, um, emotions of that are, are just going to, are going to get in the way. And so if you need to schedule a time and write out, like, here's how I feel. And here's what I, here's, here are some of my expectations. Where am I wrong? How would you, how do you feel about this? What are, what are some of the things that you feel like, um, could be better in our physical intimacy? Well, I mean, the, physiologically makeup sex is a real thing. Like we know we joke about it, but when someone feels heard and known and loved and that expression is played out physically, people are like, that was amazing. Why was that amazing? And it, 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 there is something to that of like makeup sex is really the antithesis of experiencing what God designed it to be. And that's to be fully known and fully loved and valued. And I'll close. What is the, you know, me, you guys have heard me say this a million times that I'm dyslexic. So sometimes Bible verses are hard for me. Um, and is it, it's first Corinthians, right? Yep. Chapter five, chapter seven verses seven through 12. No, I don't think so. We'll put it in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) But it says, it's the message version. And it says, I think it's chapter five, verses. Seven through 12? No. It's verses seven through 12. I know that. Okay. You should look it up on your phone while I'm talking. Okay, we're going to take a little wager here. So (laughs) I want you to go to the show notes and see who was right on this one. Oh, you know it's not going to be me. (laughs) I can't even remember my own birthday. But, okay, back to the the passage of scripture in, in the message version says that, um, I don't have it in front of me, obviously, but it says that sexual drives are strong. Like that is not a shock to God that sexual drives are strong, but the marriage bed is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. Like every single word in that verse is like, come on somebody like that is, this is God saying, listen, it, we live in a really dysfunctional world but the marriage bed is not only just strong enough to contain it, but to provide a fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. But it's the second half of that passage because it says that the marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. It's the husband seeking to satisfy his wife, and it's the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. The marriage bed isn't a place to stand up for your rights. It's a place to serve one another, whether in bed or out. And it's just this beautiful depiction that you can start today. It doesn't matter. I mean, I always with these podcasts, Justin and I have to fight our like pastor hats and not give you like, here's five happy hops to so the best, you know, intimacy you've ever had. But 
this if, we, if you had that, we would be rich. If you had five happy true. hops, the best intimacy, we'd be rich. But we've made a promise that in these podcasts of like, let's get real, that we aren't going to like button it up. Right. So we're going to leave you with like, man, there's so many things that they didn't well, discuss. Yeah, and we're going to have other conversations about this. This isn't, a, this isn't a once and done. Yeah. So, but what we do want to encourage you from this conversation is this one thought. Where do you need to be honest with yourself in this area of understanding sexual intimacy? And really begin to invite God in the conversation. Maybe spend some time um, reading, you know, Genesis chapter 2 and just being reminded that, like, God has got your back in this conversation. He designed it. Um, he's for you. And it's not an area of your marriage relationship he has given you to struggle but he's given it to you um, as a beautiful, beautiful expression to be fully known and fully loved. That is beautiful. So thanks, guys, for joining us for this episode of the Let's Get Real podcast. We could not get any more real than we did during this episode. True. Join us on Thursday for a masterclass. And this might be for some of you listening going, well, you don't know what I'm going through. Trust has been broken. I don't know how to recapture physical intimacy after that. We're going to have a masterclass on Thursday, March 2nd. Um, at 8 p.m. is Eastern on Restoring Broken Trust, four choices you need to make to bring healing when trust has been broken. And it could be uh, just what you need to help move forward in this area of sexual intimacy in your marriage relationship. Go to refineus.org slash masterclass, and it's absolutely free. Thanks again for joining us. We'll talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.